Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today, we look at Jesus, our advocate. He knows our true needs and desires and meets them completely. He is on our side and for us. He wants to give us his best in every situation. He is the greatest advocate we could ever have. part two of Cheryl's message titled, Such a High Priest. He knows what you need in your life. He knows what you need in your present circumstances. And he knows what you need for your future. You know what else you need? You need an intercessor. You need someone who's going to explain you to others. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, will you explain me to my man? Will you just tell him? Can he see my heart for a moment? Could he see? Because, you know, sometimes like Brian will say to me, I know why you did that. No, you do not know why. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know how you react. In the, no, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. You don't always know because this time is different. This is a unique time, Brian. This is different. Isn't that true? I mean, you all have unique times. You know what it is. And somebody who thinks they know you, or, you know, have you ever gotten the worst gift in the world for Christmas? And somebody says, I just knew you'd love it. You're like, ah. <laughs> what do I do with this one? We need someone who is completely on our side. We need someone on our side. Someone who knows us completely, knows what we need, and goes for it. Goes for it. He advocates to get that thing we need. He says, let me return that awful present. Let me take it back to Nordstrom's and get the right thing because Nordstrom's takes everything. Let me get the right thing and give it back to you. That's what he does. He is advocating. He is passionate for our best interest and our prosperity. Isn't that great? I remember, I don't know if you, when you were a little girl, when I was a little girl, my mother would pick out my best friends and she'd say, this is your best friend. And I would go, this is my best friend. But my best friends didn't always act in my best interest. They knew that my favorite flavor of lollipop was cherry. And my most unfavorite flavor was lemon. And my mom came home with a lemon lollipop for me one time. And I said, lemon. And she said, well, I thought you liked cherry, but your best friend told me you prefer lemon. And that's when I knew she was not my best friend. Because my best friend would have wanted me to have cherry. Knowing how I love cherry and how I gave lemon to the boy next door. We need someone who believes in us. They believe in us. They say, I 
believe in your heart. I know who you are. I believe in you. And therefore, because I believe in you, I want the best for you. You need an advocate who is holy, pure, authentic, divine, harmless, not vindictive, volatile, or vengeful. Oh, yes. You need an advocate who is undefiled, incorruptible, righteous, cannot be swayed to unrighteousness for any reason. You need an advocate who is separate from sinners, without any personal need, without selfish ambitions, and not motivated by the things that draw sinners. You need an advocate, though, who is powerful, who is authoritative, who is strong, who is influential and able to make things happen. In other words, you need an advocate who is higher than the heavens. This is exactly what you have through Jesus, in Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done. You see, you have what you really, truly need in the deepest reaches of your heart, spiritually, emotionally, but also physically. Hebrews 7 verses 18 through 28 reveals to us the why Jesus' priesthood was superior and more advantageous than the priesthood of Aaron. The first priesthood was based on commandments that were weak in that they couldn't strengthen the adherent or produce righteousness in anyone. They couldn't do for us what we needed. The high priest couldn't make us strong. In fact, the high priest knew very few people. He was isolated. He lived in the temple compound. Very few people knew the high priest. He couldn't make anyone righteous. His sacrifice could only cover, but it couldn't profit. It was unprofitable in that it could not improve the internal condition of the heart. You were still left with the same heart that was going to need another sacrifice. It couldn't transform the heart. And it could not guarantee the eternal destiny of anyone. Because as soon as you got that atonement, you might go out and sin, lie, unexpectedly, unwillingly, just all of a sudden blurt it out. Have you ever lied? No, we haven't. Well, I have. And I did it when I didn't mean to. I was walking out. I don't know why I did this. Except for I think I got intimidated. And there were some people outside of the market that, you know, and they go, hi there. Do you care about the environment? You know what I said? It was a total lie. I said this. I used to be one of you. I'm not even sure what that meant. I was never one of them. I mean, I used to be human, but I still am. And I walked to the car and I heard the Holy Spirit go, you used to be one of them? And I'm like, oh my goodness. I just lied. I just didn't want to give them my money. And I didn't want to sign any forms. I, and, I, and I think their cause is a little bit crooked. I, I just, and I feel like they're doing it for a college class for for points, because I did something like that when I was in college too, for points, for my civics class. High school, high school, I don't want to keep lying here. I did it in high school. But I, you know, I used to be one of you. 
And I, I'm sitting there in the car going, Lord, I just lied. Forgive me. Forgive me. And he's like, it's all right. I just brought it to your attention so we could get this cleared away. So you don't do that anymore. Hello, I used to be one of you. You know, but can you imagine? I'd need to go pick out another lamb and get right back to the temple and say, could you do this one? I, I just told somebody I was one of them. I'm not one of them. Here's another, I mean, I told Brian, if we lived under the old covenant, you wouldn't have a flock. You know, I'd be like, sorry, Brian. I had a bad thought. You know, he'd be looking around like, where's sheep number six? Sorry, I took your money that was on top the dresser. I don't know why you leave it there, but I took it. You know, it would be just, I'm sorry, we'd lose the flock. Part of because obsessive compulsive disorder, you know? I think that might have been a sin, just in case I'm taking sheep number seven. Jesus' priesthood also brought a better hope And and this word hope means certain expectation or a secure expectation, something that's definitely going to happen. Without doubt, it's going to happen. Christmas is an expectation. It comes every year. It's a certainty. And that's what we're talking about, this hope. It's a certainty. We like it, we want it, and it's guaranteed. It's going to happen. It came by a better ordination, the ordination of Melchizedek. It brought a better covenant. It's continuous, it's constant, and it gives us an unchanging priesthood. It brought a thorough salvation, not just a partial atonement or a yearly atonement. It brought a thorough salvation, one that not only forgave forever, but also cleansed. And it brought us passionate intercession for whatever we need. Jesus is superior to any earthly priest because he cannot die. And he is fitting for us. In other words, he is everything we need and he has been perfected forever. He has been declared righteous. He has been proven righteous and he has been ordained righteous high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The past priesthood under Moses, and here's where we're going to get our history lesson. During the Mosaic priesthood, there had to be an ordination, Exodus 29. The ordination was that Aaron was appointed by Moses. Though he was chosen by God, he was appointed by Moses. Aaron was not perfect. Perhaps you remember this about Aaron, that when Moses went up into the mountain, the people came to Aaron and they said, make us a God. And he said, give me your earrings, give me your jewelry. And then he took them and he fashioned a calf and he gave it to the people of Israel. And he said, here's your God. Here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. Then when Moses came down the mountain, as if it wasn't bad enough to lead the people in idolatry, to facilitate their idolatry, when Moses came down from the mountain and said, what happened? He said, oh, it was the people. They pressed me so hard to make them a God. And I just, I just found some gold, threw it in the fire, and look what came out. He lied. Duh. He lied. He was not perfect. He had to have a sacrifice on his behalf for his sins before he could ever offer anything for the sins of the people. The high priest was anointed by a special oil of the sanctuary and the blood of the lamb. Aaron and his sons had to place 
their hands on the lamb who would be sacrificed for them. And the blood was to be applied to their right earlobe, their right thumb, and their right big toe. In other words, they had to be told, you are to hear the Lord and your hearing should be sanctified and your doing should be sanctified and where your walk, you should be sanctified. You have to remember this call on your life. And then they had to be consecrated for seven days. They had to be like interred for seven days where they couldn't talk or see anyone before they could even begin to officiate in the tabernacle or temple. What were the duties of the high priest? A duty, the duty was one to wear the holy garments. And you read about these holy garments in Exodus chapter 28. And one was an ephod, which was more of like a shoulder covering, an ephod. And in the ephod were two stones, one on the right shoulder, one on the left shoulder. And the onyx stones each had engraven six of the tribes of Israel. So this contained six tribes, this contained six tribes. And Aaron was to wear those on his shoulders. In other words, he was to bear the burden of Israel. He was responsible for the spiritual upkeep and the spiritual health of Israel. He was always bearing the burden of Israel. Then he had a breastplate. And on this breastplate, it was made so it had like a pocket. But on the front, it had four uh, rows with three gemstones each. And each of those gemstones represented a tribe of Israel. And he wore this over his heart. And that was to remind him of the value of the tribes of the Jews to God. That God looked at these people as his gems, as his precious jewels. And he was to wear them on his heart because God carried and valued and had them on his heart. Inside this pocket was called the Urim and the Thurm. It was these two stones and how they worked, I don't know, but they were to determine the will of God. So the priest was to know the will of God, to always be seeking the will of God, to always seek to please the Lord in everything he did and for the people of Israel. On the hem of his robe were pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet. And there were bells all around the hem, not real pomegranates, but the likenesses of of pomegranates that were um, embroidered and bells all around the hem so that whenever he walked, he would hear the jingle of bells and remember that he was representing the Lord so that he would not forget the sacredness of his duty. He had a turban of pure fine linen with a pure gold band that was engraved holiness to the Lord. In other words, his thoughts were to be dedicated to God and he was to remember that the purpose of his life was to please God. When Aaron was given these garments, Moses told him that they were for glory and beauty, to show to the people the sanctity and holiness of serving God. But they were also to represent the glory and beauty of God. 
The high priest represented God to the people, God's holiness, God's glory, God's beauty, but also God's separateness. No one could wear these garments but the high priest. No one else was allowed to wear these kingly royal garments but the high priest. And he was only allowed to wear them when he was in the temple or the tabernacle doing the service of the Lord. He could not wear those garments among the people um, in the streets to go to the market, to go to the butcher. He couldn't wear those garments in his own home. He could only wear those garments when he was serving in the temple or tabernacle. He had oversight of all that pertained to the tabernacle or to the temple. He was in charge of everything. He was in charge of the purity of the vessels, making sure they were cleansed the right way, of the upkeep of the temple and the temple vessels and the furniture in the temple. He was in charge of the sanctity, making sure no unclean person or unclean animal was given to the tabernacle or in the temple or tabernacle. And the priest's job was never done. There were no chairs in the tabernacle or the temple signifying that the entire time the high priest could never sit down because his job was never done. Because there is always a sin to be covered. There was always something to do either for the temple or for the people. He had oversight of the sacrifices. Sometimes he participated in them, but mainly he just watched the other Levites and put certain Levites in charge of sacrifices. So he had oversight of the daily sacrifices. Two lambs a day, one in the morning and one at night. Burn offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, fellowship offerings. He had oversight of the Levites and priests, those who offered the sacrifices. He had oversight of the law of God. He was to be in charge of making sure that the people knew the word of God and were taught the word of God. He was also in charge of enforcement of the feast and celebrations of the Lord to make sure they weren't missed and that they were done the right way and that the right sacrifices were carried out at the right feasts. And he was in charge of all the rituals at the feasts. He also had oversight of seeing lepers that were cleansed were to go to the high priest. They were to show themselves to the high priest. So he was in charge of cleansed lepers, cleansed houses, and ritual cleansings. Interesting enough, in the Old Testament, The high priest never had to exercise this because the only person who was ever cleansed of leprosy in the Old Testament, besides uh, Mary and Moses' sister, was a Gentile, Naaman, the Gentile, only person. But in the New Testament, do you remember when Jesus said, go show yourself to the high priest every time he cleansed the leper? Go show yourself to the high priest. Go show yourself to the high priest. Do you know what happened? The high priest is like, oh wait, I know there's something written about what I'm supposed to do. And as he had to take those two birds, and I won't go into it because it's kind of gory. He had to wring the neck of one. And I won't tell you the rest because it's really gory, but he had to do this whole ritual over this cleansed leper and inspect him 
and verify that he was truly cleansed. And you know what he was knowing? Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Jesus just did what only the Messiah could do. No one else ever sent a cleansed leper to the high priest. This was never invoked before Jesus. He also made annual atonement for the nation. Now, this is something that only the high priest could do. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, once a year, and this feast proceeds or goes before the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would have to offer a sacrifice for himself. And this this um, offering took place on the brazen or bronze altar outside of the temple or that had been outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard. And he would offer first a sacrifice for his sins, his own sins. And then he would offer a sacrifice for the people. And he would take the blood of that sacrifice along with incense into the Holy of Holies just once a year. Only once a year could the high priest having been cleansed, go in and appear before God on behalf of the people. Now he took incense and the incense would obscure the Holy of Holies so he couldn't see anything. And it says that in Leviticus 16, that this was done so he would not die. Because even in his cleansed state, having offered a sacrifice, going in with the blood of the covenant, of the sacrifice had just made on behalf of the people, If he saw the Ark of the Covenant, if it wasn't obscured by the incense, he would die because it was such a holy place and he was still not righteous enough. There coming out, he was also to bless the people. Numbers 6, 23, 27, what is often called the ironic blessing, not ironic, ironic blessing, because it was to be practiced by the priest. And you know this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it says this, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. The high priest was to bless the people. Now, there were problems with this priesthood. One, the priests were subject to sin. We see Zadok in 1 Kings 1.8, and he chooses the wrong side. Instead of siding with Solomon, the son of David, he sides with Adonijah. Another problem, Hilkiah, who was a priest during the time of Josiah, he lost the word of God. He didn't even know what the word of God said. It was completely lost and hidden in the temple. You've got during the reign of um, Ahaziah that he comes back and he pressures the priest to put Um, a new altar in the courtyard, one that would be to a pagan God. And this priest cooperates with idolatry. During the time of Manasseh, the priests were so weak that they let Manasseh put in booths of perversion all over the temple courtyard. So the problem was the priests were subject to sin. They were weak. They were men. They buckled under pressure. But also they died because they were human. They took office according to heritage, not according to purity of heart or by an oath of God. And they often became derelict in their obligations. 
And the fact that a sacrifice had to be offered daily and then once a year for themselves showed their sinful nature and their weakness and the inability of the sacrifice itself to fully atone for the nation or people of Israel. But Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the perfect priest because his ordination is superior. It's by an oath of God, Psalm 110, 4. The great I am stated by an oath that he would not change, that he would not relent from. And he stated that there would be no other high priest that he would recognize or acknowledge but the priesthood of Melchizedek. In Jesus, we have a high priest, an advocate who is greater than all and higher than the heavens. He is holy, pure, divine, and harmless. He is perfect and can't be swayed away from goodness for any reason and is not tempted like man. He is powerful and strong and has all authority and can do anything he wishes. He makes us complete and gives us hope to trust, believe, and live for him. As we do, we'll see how he is everything we will ever need. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll conclude our look at Jesus, our High Priest, as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.